Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, Coral and Mooring's podcast, bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. I'm Jason Crawford, and I'm joined today by co-host Augustina Rosco and special guest Olivia Lynch to discuss how SBA OIG's recent report, enforcement trends, and FCA settlements indicate that there's no end in sight to the government's COVID relief fraud enforcement efforts. We want to start off by introducing Olivia. Uh, she's a partner in Coral and Mooring's Government Contracts Group. And Olivia provides advice on all manner of small business government contracting issues, including certifications of small business size and status and participation in programs of the SBA and other agencies, including the mentor-protege programs. Uh, since the CARES Act established the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, Olivia has advised on all manner of issues related to this program. And she's counseled companies on eligibility, both from a size perspective and related to the economic necessity certification. She's also assisted in investigations and disclosures related to PPP loans. So welcome to the podcast, Olivia. Do you want to start things off by discussing the SBA OIG's recent report and what it means in terms of the government's PPP and EIDL program fraud enforcement efforts? Thanks, Jason. On June 27th, 2023, the SBA OIG issued a report which estimated that $200 billion out of the $1.2 trillion dispersed through the COVID-19 IDLE and PPP programs may have been fraudulently obtained. According to the SBA OIG, approximately $30 billion of that has been seized or returned to date, and the Watchdog's report makes clear that the government's effort to recover fraudulently obtained funds is far from over. As stated in this report, investigations will ensue for years to come in light of the congressional decision to extend the statute of limitations to 10 years for idle and PPP fraud. So even though the COVID-19 public health declaration ended in May 2023, the ongoing investigation of alleged pandemic relief fraud means that enforcement actions brought under the FCA, as well as the Financial Institutions Reform, Recovery, and Enforcement Act, has only just begun. This report also highlights how the government's initial efforts focus on criminal enforcement, but I'll pass it on to Augustine to discuss that section of the report since he was an AUSA in the criminal division at the time the government issued those loans. Thanks, Olivia. According to the SBA OIG report, the government's decision to expedite the granting of relief loans created a pay-and-chase environment in which the government prioritized getting funds to applicants even if this resulted in loans being made to ineligible entities and individuals that the government would need to chase after the fact. The government's early chase activity was largely focused on criminal enforcement of the most egregious pandemic relief fraud, such as those using the PPP funds to purchase luxury vacations and sports cars. In connection with these early efforts, leadership from DOJ's criminal division highlighted that the government would be using data analytics to identify, investigate, and prosecute PPP fraud. In fact, SBA OIG's June 27 report underscores the important role that data analysis has played in identifying targets for investigation. According to SBA OIG, its oversight and investigative work has resulted in over 1,000 indictments and more than 500 convictions related to COVID-19, IDL, and PPP frauds as of May 2023. With that said, if the first wave of COVID relief fraud enforcement arose under the criminal code, the second appears to rely more on the federal government's tool of choice for civil enforcement, the False Claims Act. Jason, since you recently joined the firm from DOJ's civil fraud section, can you weigh in on what we've seen so far in the form of affirmative FCA cases? Yeah, thanks, Augustine. So similar to the approach taken by the criminal division, the leadership of DOJ's civil division, 
has stated that the department would utilize the False Claims Act and leverage all investigative tools at its disposal, including the use of data analytics to identify individuals and entities that received relief payments to which they were not entitled. In the approximately three years since relief funds were uh, dispersed, uh, DOJ has been steadily implementing this strategy. For example, the U.S. Attorney's Office and EDVA used data analysis to proactively identify and file a complaint against an individual who settled allegations that she had fraudulently obtained and received forgiveness for two PPP loans by listing false gross income amounts and submitting fake tax returns. And like many other affirmative cases that have been filed, this complaint contained causes of action under the FCA, as well as FIREA, which allows the government to impose civil penalties for violations of uh, several enumerated federal criminal statutes, including those that affect federally insured financial institutions. This early wave of affirmative False Claims Act enforcement has been defined by both the high volume of cases and the comparatively small size of the recoveries, because many of the actions involved loans made to sole proprietors or independent contractors who were subject to the loan cap of about $20,000. But cases involving larger dollar amounts have begun to surface. A couple months ago, a trustee moved a bankruptcy court to approve a $13 million settlement of claims brought by the Department of Justice against two restaurant companies uh, that had received PPP loans, which were forgiven um, before the companies had filed for bankruptcy. And as the judgments associated with these affirmative cases have continued to pile up, KETAM cases involving pandemic fraud have also been coming out from under seal uh, with a growing number resulting in DOJ intervention and settlement. That's right, Jason. And it is not just DOJ pushing this effort. Recently, we hosted a webinar on PPP enforcement efforts that also featured an SBA OIG special agent who uh, is responsible for nationwide coordination of the investigative work involving the, the PPP and EIDL programs. During the webinar, the special agent confirmed that given the number of loans and amount of money involved, coupled with the fact that SBA OIG received over 200,000 hotline complaints related to PPP and EIDL program fraud, SBA OIG was using data analytics to prioritize the matters it, it was investigating. The SBA OIG agent highlighted a number of fraud indicators used by the government, including some obvious indicators such as false statements on the application and inflated payroll numbers. But the agent also discussed more sophisticated indicators such as the prefix of the company's employer identification number, or EIN, listed on the loan application. The agent noted that EIN prefixes of 85 and 86 raised suspicion because EIN numbers starting with 85 or 86 were issued to new EIN numbers after March 15, 2020, indicating that the business likely did not exist in February 2020, which was a PPP eligibility requirement. Thus, while not determinative of fraud, companies applying for PPP and EIDL program funds with EINs starting with 85 or 86 caught the attention of the SBA OIG. And government agencies aren't the only ones looking through data for evidence of fraud. The disclosure of loan recipient information has been a virtual treasure trove for serial relators who have combed through the publicly available information in search of potentially ineligible loan recipients. Although the majority of these KETAM actions have resulted in declinations, serial relators have been able to gain traction in select cases. For example, one serial relator who has filed dozens of pandemic fraud cases brought a KETAM action alleging that companies received and retained duplicate PPP loans 
in spite of the requirement that the company certified that they would not receive more than one loan. The government intervened and three companies named in the suit paid a total of $530,000 to settle the allegations. But not all serial relators have found success in searching out PPP loan recipients to name as defendants in KETAM actions. In Alaska, a district court judge dismissed 47 separate pro se actions filed by the same relator over the course of three days for lack of jurisdiction. That said, the sheer scale of PPP loans has clearly motivated relators to seek out potential defendants. That's right, Augustine. And while actions filed by serial relators have driven the number of cases filed against borrowers, there have also been key tenant actions filed by more traditional company insiders. These cases have resulted in recoveries for loan recipients who are alleged to have inflated employee headcounts on PPP loan applications, and where a business seeking loan forgiveness for PPP loans listed as its own employees multiple individuals that were actually employed and paid by a separate business. So Olivia mentioned this earlier, but one reason why we think we're going to continue to see pandemic relief fraud enforcement for years to come is the statute of limitations. By extending the statute of limitations to 10 years for pandemic relief fraud, Congress has eliminated any uncertainty about whether a suit is timely filed under the False Claims Act statute of limitations provision. And this will allow DOJ to work on pandemic relief fraud investigations through 2031. And this additional time gives the government some more runway to work on more complex investigations and to decide whether to bring cases against the lenders that processed relief loans. And this extended statute of limitations also means that serial relators and traditional insiders um, are likely to continue to file QTAM actions, which the DOJ will investigate and pursue where it deems appropriate. And as a result, companies who received PPP loans or who are involved in the lending process or approvals should be prepared for the possibility that they could receive a subpoena from the SBA OIG uh, or a civil investigative demand from the DOJ in the years ahead. And so with that, we want to leave you all with a few takeaways to consider in order to mitigate against these potential risks. Our first recommendation is that in light of this extended statute of limitations, uh, borrowers should maintain records uh, that will allow them to reconstruct events years after the initial application. Many PPP borrowers received advice from accountants, consultants, and in some cases, lawyers on the initial application and on the loan forgiveness application. And so these companies should keep in mind that such third-party entities have their own retention policies that may not align with this extended statute of limitations. And so they should not be relying on them for the retention of the relevant records. I'll add that loan forgiveness does not equate to a determination that the borrower was eligible for a PPP loan in the first place. So even after your loan is forgiven, the SBA Office of Capital Access can, and, and we've seen in some cases, have begun opening post-forgiveness reviews assessing initial eligibility for the PPP loan. So just to reiterate, PPP borrowers continue to maintain records establishing initial eligibility, as well as demonstrating that they use the PPP funds for giveable expenses. And our final takeaway is that if a company discovers after the fact that it was not eligible for the initial loan or forgiveness, the company should engage counsel to discuss potential corrective actions, such as proactively returning funds in order to avoid the FCA's potential for treble damages or steep FIREA penalties. 
Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of enforcement trends, recent key TAM settlements, and common indicators that the government and whistleblowers have used to identify potential pandemic relief fraud. I want to thank Olivia for sharing her thoughts and my co-host Jason for providing insightful analysis. We'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash let's talk FCA.